just this week I was uh, reading an article, um, and it wasn't a surprising article. It's something that has been spoken of and written about for a number of years, actually. And the article was talking about how there is a mass exodus of people from the church. People no longer attending church. The numbers, percentage-wise, keep going up every year. Uh, The next generation to come, by and large, has found that worship like this is unnecessary and a little waste of time. There are other things to do. And as these surveys come out and they begin talking about these kinds of things, uh, people are looking for answers. Why is this the case? Why would there be such a mass exodus from church and Christianity in general? One of the things that does come up is that people who leave the church often say, well, The church is just filled with a bunch of people who say they're Christian and they're different, but they're really not. They just don't act like it. It seems very hypocritical. These people talk about loving the Lord and living a God-honoring life, but it's just talk. There really is no substance to that. Because of that, many people have decided that if this Christianity, this Jesus of the Bible, really makes no difference, then what's the use? Why learn about him? Why worship him? And I think, in many ways, the concern shared by those people is valid. In response to that, people leaving the church in particular, many churches have adopted the position of, well, what what really is the need is that we really just need to be more accommodating to people of our culture. We need to become more like them in order to reach them. That they wouldn't feel that Christianity and following Jesus is so odd and different. And my contention is the reason that people leave the church and people don't come to church isn't because we're more not more like people, but because we're not more like Christ himself. And if we really were different there. I can't put my finger on it, but whatever it is, that's what I'm looking for. And I think, in many ways, this is exactly what Jude is trying to portray to the church in his day. And by extension, we are being challenged with in our day. Jude puts it this way, contend for the faith. 
And we've seen this time and time again. The theme of this book is simply it's the duty of every genuine believer to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. But we tend to think of that in terms of, yes, contending for the faith means a, an apologetic, a doctrinal instruction to uh, turn away the atheists and the heretics and have debates. And Jude, in his response to telling us to contend for the faith, nowhere says, let's lay this doctrinal foundation. He does refer to the faith. But his emphasis is not so much on orthodoxy as what we would call orthopraxy. That is, not so much what you know in your head about Jesus in the Bible, but how you live. And that is how Jude instructs us and challenges us as God's people. He tells believers in his day and we in our day why we must contend for the faith. We've seen this. The book breaks down very easily. Verses 4 through 19, he answers this question. If, if every one of us is to contend for the faith and how we live, why? Well, we are to contend for the faith because certain people gain access to the people of God. There are certain people that come in among the people of God, and Jude says they turn the grace of God into sensual living. In other words, they say, let's not be so different. Let's actually live more like people who don't know the Lord. Why do we need to be so narrow-minded? And they deny the authority of Christ. They deny that Jesus Christ would actually have any kind of authoritative voice in my life. That I should actually be concerned with obeying what he says. Jude says there are people like that that creep in among the people of God and they tend to, to pull people down. And he gives examples and says this has always been the case among God's people, all the way back in the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And he layers on these Old Testament examples. In the end, beginning in verse 17, he actually says, listen, the, the apostles warned us about these kinds of people coming in and tearing us down this way. And he said, we need to be aware and be careful of their presence. Be warned. Because what they do, according to verse 19, is they are divisive. They divide God's people. So why must we contend for the faith? It's because certain people gain access to the people of God and they pervert God's grace and deny his authority and threaten to divide the church. Therefore, we all must contend for the faith. But how should we do that? That's what we really want to know, right? It's the how. Okay, if this is incumbent upon me and God is telling you in those seats, contend for the faith by how you live. How do we do that? And this has been our focus last week and will continue to be for the next couple of weeks at least, beginning in verse 20. Where he says, but you must be loved. Don't live like those that pervert the grace of God, these, these ones that have crept in among you. But in contrast, you are to defend the faith this way. Live this way. And he answers this 
how question by giving us a command. Last week, I tried to break down verses 20 and 21 for you. There really is just one command. If you look at verse 20, it says, but you beloved, and then you might want to draw a line in your Bible from the end of the word beloved in verse 20, right to the beginning of verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. This is the main thing he's saying. You beloved, here's how you contend for the faith. Keep yourself in God's love. Now, what does that mean? Does this mean that I am to keep loving God? I contend for the faith by keep loving God. Well, that's a good thing, but that's not what Jude is saying. Is he saying, well, I am to contend for the faith by having God keep loving me? Live in such a way that God will keep loving me. Is that how I contend for the faith? And that's not what Jude is saying either. The point of Jude's command is this. Keep yourselves in the love of God. How? Remain rooted in God's unchanging love for you. Don't ever forget this. God loves you. Why does he love you? We looked at that last week. We looked at other passages that tie this with another teaching of the scripture. God loves you not because of anything that you have done. Not because one day you woke up and your eyes were open and you said, oh, there is a God and I love him and I think I will serve him and worship him and therefore God's love was reciprocal and it came back to you. The teaching of the scripture is this. God loves you because he chose you. He set his love upon you. And because of that, it's entirely on him. And that steadfast, committed love never fails. But we often question it, don't we? We often wonder. And when we do, we are unstable. We are spiritually unstable. And this is why Jude says this is at the foundation of contending for the faith and living a God-honoring life is you must remain rooted in God's unchanging love. Because what happens when I don't? What happens when I question God's love? As I said, we are spiritually unstable. And in fact, you are more susceptible to temptation. You noted that last week, back in Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember how Satan came, the tempter to Eve? The first thing he did was put a question in her mind. Does God really love you? The only reason God is withholding this thing from you is because God has ulterior motives. He doesn't really have your best interest at heart. You can't trust him. And it was upon that basis that Eve fell for the temptation And it's the same way today, beloved. Satan will come after you and he will tempt you on the grounds of your questioning God's love. Does he really have my best interest at heart? I mean, if I do this, it seems like the opposite of good things will happen. It seems like God actually has it out for me. So Jude says this is foundational. To contend for the faith, 
you must have this at your bedrock foundation. God's love for me is unchanging. Well, how are we assured of that? How do we become more stable in this foundation? Strengthen our footing, as it were. Well, that's where the rest of the verse comes in. There are actually three, and again, just to be technical for a moment, three, three participles, we would call them. They're not the main thing, but they actually speak to the main thing. And so if I break down verses 20 and 21, they look like this. You are to, beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. How? Look at verse 20. Number one, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Secondly, by praying in the Holy Spirit. And third, this is the attitude in doing those things. Verse 21, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So the method or means by which believers are to obey this command to keep yourself in the love of God is in verse 20. There's two of them, building yourselves up and praying. And the correct attitude or manner in which we obey this command is given in verse 21, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Do you see that? So this morning, I want to address really just the first of these. How do we contend in the faith? By staying rooted in God's love. The first thing we must do, verse 20, is build ourselves up in our most holy faith. I would put it this way. We must remain rooted in God's love and contend for the faith by progressing in your Christian life or building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Let's ask God to help us understand these things more clearly as we further examine his word. Lord, thank you for these few moments that we have to set our minds upon your word. And may even today as we do and we take in your words, that they would nourish us and form us and place us on a firm footing. That we would be built up by them and strengthened and have greater assurance of your love for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Near my house in Derry is a large lake. And I drive by that lake every so often when I'm headed into town or different areas. And there's been a house that's being built uh, near that lake. And to me, it seems like it's been going on longer than it should. I think last year, I remember them clearing the land and excavating the property and putting in the footings and the foundation. And I watched as... I would drive by there and there'd be some progress and some more building would be going on and uh, eventually I think they got a roof on it. And, but the recent times I've been by there, I hope it's not anybody's house here. Um, I've been driving by there and noting that it just looks like not a lot has been going on there. And I kind of anticipated by this time that the whole thing would be sided and this beautiful new home that overlooks the lake and I was kind of anticipating seeing that. But... There's no siding on it right now, and it seems like things have stalled to me. And if they don't do something soon, 
with the winter months coming, there might be some deteriorating effects on that structure that doesn't look entirely dried in, and some things are going to happen, and I just kind of wonder, I wonder why the building has stopped. There's going to be some problems if there's not progress being made. You know, the same is true in your Christian life, that the Lord saves us graciously, sets his love upon us, and we receive Christ as our Savior. But God intends for you to be a lifelong building project, as it were, and that progress would be being made in your life, in your Christian life. And that you wouldn't remain static or fall back. This is God's desire. And we as believers are to make progress in our Christian life. And it's not simply so that we have the sense of feeling that progress. But it's actually the sense that we will be more grounded and rooted in our faith. Because when we don't grow, we go backwards. And it is essential for us to remain rooted in God's love. And how do we do that? We do that by progressing in our Christian life, growing as a believer. Well, how do we grow? How do we build ourselves up in this kind of most holy faith? Just two things for you this morning. How do you progress as a Christian? Number one, you have to build on the right foundation. What is the foundation? If you look at verse 20, build yourselves up. In your most holy faith. Now what is this most holy faith that we are to build ourselves up or or in or upon? You might think, okay, faith is this. It's it's the subjective aspect. It's my faith. When we speak of faith, we often speak of belief. And, And do I have faith? Do I have real belief? Do I have real trust? But think about it. If Jude is saying this, Build yourselves, here's your foundation, up on this faith that you have, this faith that you're exercising. That's a very shaky foundation. Because just be honest. Do you always feel like your personal faith or confidence is very strong? Do you sometimes doubt and wonder? How are we to build upon a a shaky kind of foundation like that? And so that is not Jude's point. He's not saying build yourself up on this, this subjective kind of faith and belief that you have. He says actually build yourself up on this, the faith. We saw this back in the first part of the book. If you go back to chapter or verse three of Jude. He says, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. And this is the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And what is the faith there in that context? What he's saying is this isn't your personal faith or belief. It is the faith. It is the teaching of Christ through the apostles that has been handed down to us. It was once for all delivered to the saints through Christ and his hand-picked apostles. And now that is the faith. We could say it's the gospel. 
And Jude says at the end of the book, build upon that secure faith, that secure teaching. Build your life upon the gospel. Notice he calls it a most holy faith. Most, here's the idea, it is a superlative term. It's saying it is, it is greater than anything else. And it is most holy. Holy is the idea of being separate or distinct. That there is no other faith like this. There is no other gospel. This is the one true gospel handed down to us by Christ himself through those apostles. And it is holy because not only is it self-separate and distinct, but those who build their lives on it are holy. They become more separate and distinct as God intends. Those who fashion their life after this truth about Christ become more like Him and distinctly like Him. To build on this Faith, this most holy faith, is to grow in our understanding of the gospel and the truth and the teaching of Christ. I'm so thankful that David mentioned this morning in his prayer and prayed for our teachers because that is what Jesus told us to do in Matthew 28. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And what he could be saying is this, help them build themselves up in their most holy faith. Help them progress in their Christian life. Now, are you making progress that way? Do you know and live out more of what you know today than you did this time last year? I was reading a book recently with a group of men and reading a book entitled Reclaiming Masculinity. And it's talking about living as God intends men to live in a culture that wants anything but that. And one thing that the author said that really struck out to me was this. He said, it is manly to know your Bible well. And my heart beat. I'd underlined it and circled it. And I said, that, yeah. We could say this. It is manly to build yourself up on your most holy faith really take in God's word and be progressing and be growing. But this again brings up the question, how, how do we do this? How am I to build on this foundation to progress in this faith, this truth about Christ and myself and this world? And notice he says that we are to build ourselves in verse 20. And, and, and again, the idea of building is present. That means it's something that's ongoing. And it's active. It's something that you do. And I think we're helped by looking at a book that is very similar to Jude in this scenario. We know, I've mentioned this before in the series, that, that Jude and Second Peter really mirror each other in a lot of ways. And if you read the commentary literature, there's always this argument about who came first. Did, did Jude write first and then Peter, Second Peter, or did Peter write first and then Jude? Or, or maybe the two of them were looking at a third source, and that's how they got their information. And I personally think that Jude is actually referring to Second Peter. And let me show you why. Look at verse 17, again of Jude 17. 
But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who are the apostles? Maybe you can't name all of them, but you could name probably the most prominent one, Peter, right? And Jude says, remember the predictions of these apostles, and look at verse 18. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. Where did the apostles say that? Where did an apostle say that? Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Just back a few pages in your Bible. 2 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 3. Peter writes, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. So I think Jude is referring to 2 Peter when he says, the apostles warned us about this. Go and read Second Peter's second book, Peter's second letter. Why do I make that point? Well, remember, we're trying to figure out how do we build upon this faith? How do I build upon this faith in a way that enables me to remain rooted in God's love? Well, why is, sec why is Peter writing this book of 2 Peter? Just look at this briefly. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 1. Peter writes to the church, but false prophets also arose among the people, and he's referring to the people of Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will, one, secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And two, verse two, many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be what? Blasphemed. So you can see that, that Peter's actually writing these people about the same thing that Jude is. Peter says this will happen. Jude says it's happening now. What? Teachers will come in. They'll deny the authority of Christ. And they'll tempt you to live in a way that brings shame to the name of Christ. And so what does Peter say to his audience? Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. And look at verse 17. He concludes his book this way. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own what? Stability. You see, he's saying the same thing. Don't be led away and become unstable. How do we avoid that? Verse 18. But what? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, Peter saying the same thing. Don't become unstable and not remain in God's love for you. How do you do that? You need to grow in grace. All right, how do I grow? That's how Peter opens this little epistle. Look at 2 Peter 1. Peter's point is you must grow as a Christian in the midst of a morally corrupt culture in order to defend the faith. And look at what he says, 2 Peter chapter 1. He tells them in verse 1, this is Simon Peter, a servant of the apostle of Jesus Christ. And I'm writing to those who have obtained a what? Faith of equal standing with ours. Again, he's not saying you believed like we did. He's saying you hold on to this same faith. And just because I'm an apostle doesn't mean it's different than you. Even 2,000 years later, we have the same foundation. So what are we to do with this faith? 
Look at verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to do what with your faith? What does it say? Are you with me? Do we need to stand and stretch? Okay. You have the day off tomorrow. You'll have plenty of time to relax. Okay. What are you to do with your faith? Supplement. We could say, build on this faith. Some translations say, add to your faith. And what they're not saying is, we somehow add to our faith to be saved. It's saying, no, you're on this bedrock of faith in Christ. Now build on that. What are you to build on? Keep reading in verse 5. Make every effort. Supplement your faith with virtue. That's moral excellence. Strive to live a way that is pleasing to God in moral excellence. And virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. And he gives you this these seven character qualities that he says, here's how you build on your faith. You have this faith, and now you add to it this moral excellence and knowledge and self-control. And he says, it's not like you do these one at a time. It's like you're focused on one, and out of that one grows the next one like a telescope. And he says, do this and be intent on growing and progressing in your Christian life in these areas. Because if you do, here's the results now, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from doing this, being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if you're growing as a believer in these things, you're not apathetic. The number one reason people give for why people leave the church is people are hypocrites. They don't practice what they preach. Peter says, that is a possibility. You can be unfruitful and ineffective and apathetic, but you must be progressing and growing as a believer in these areas. The next result is this, verse 9. Whoever lacks these qualities, whoever is not building themselves or growing, is so nearsighted he's blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You know what it is to be nearsighted? Here's a perfect example. I'm nearsighted. I can't see any of you. You're all fuzzy blobs. But I can read my text perfectly fine. When I put my glasses on, oh, there you are. He says, if you're not growing in your Christian faith and growing in the understanding of the gospel and application in your life, all you're focused on is the here and now. And the reason your life is so unstable at times is because you're focused in the midst of the crisis. It's all you see and you think your world is falling apart. And you've forgotten this world is not all there is. There's much more beyond this world. In fact, this world is like steam from a pot that vanishes. And if you're not growing 
in your understanding of the gospel and building your life upon the truth of God's word, you go around nearsighted all the time. And you are unstable. But the final thing is this, for our text in particular, look at verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent, this idea of building, to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Here's what he says. By doing this and building yourselves up on your most holy faith, you're going to make sure this calling and election. Now remember last week, those of you that were with us, if you weren't, you'll have to listen to the message from last week. We went through several texts that tie this idea in the New Testament of our being loved by God to our being chosen by God. And the reason we're loved by God is because we were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. And what this text is saying is when I am growing in my faith and I'm progressing as a believer, I'm becoming more and more sure of that calling and that loving choice that God has made of me. It's shoring that up. practice these qualities we won't fall why because we're becoming grounded in God's love this fact that he chose to love me and that will never change so Peter gives us a portrait of a mature Christian in the midst of a morally corrupt culture Believers who are becoming stable in their life and assured of God's love for them no matter what happens in their life because they're building their life on the truth of Scripture. They're building their life on Christ and the gospel. And Jude says, this is how you contend. In the midst of a tumultuous culture, you show I have a firm footing in the gospel. Because I've built my life on this. And this holy faith that we build upon leads to a holy life. It's my privilege as your pastor of being in one place for more than 20 years. You know, that's, that's really unique the average tenure for a pastor is about three years. But the privilege of having pastored people for over 20 years is being able to look out in a congregation and point at faces and say, there's a life that's building. There's a life that's growing. There's a life that's becoming more stable and secure. I've seen it. In the moment, you can't see it, but when you extrapolate that over 20 years, you say, there it is. Praise God for that. But it's also the heartache in over 20 years to see people who just fail to do that and eventually fall away. And you can see it. Eventually, they're gone. 
because they never built themselves up on their most holy faith. Growing believers progressing in their faith are those who commit themselves to build on it. Well, what does that commitment look like? Final point for today. You've got to build on the right foundation, your most holy faith. But you've got to build with the right tool. What is the right tool? What is the means of divine growth? Let's look at Acts chapter 20. Interestingly enough, in Acts chapter 20, we have a similar context where Paul now is beginning to leave the city of Ephesus in which he's ministered for a good amount of time. And as he leaves, he gathers the elders of the church and he gives them warnings. And he says, here's what will happen. And you need to be aware of this. You need to be cautious about this. He tells them that in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves, you elders, and all the flocks in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he purchased for his own blood. Verse 29, I know that after my departure from you, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He says there's going to be false teachers going to try to come in and divide the flock. And in fact, he says in verse um, 30, he says, and even from among yourselves. He says, even among you, there might be some that creep up and, and try to divide God's church. And so he gives warning, and we're right in the context again of warning about how we live as God's people. And then look what he says in the end. Verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to what? Build you up. He says, this is going to happen, I know, but here's what will keep it from happening if you build yourselves up. And here's the tool. What's the tool? It's the word of his grace. It's the word of God. This is what will build you up. Thomas Schreiner writes in his excellent comments on this passage, he says, of, of the passage in Jude, he says, Christian growth occurs through the mind. As believers grow in their understanding of God's word and of Christian truth. Jude did not think that growth occurs mystically or mysteriously. Instead, believers experience God's love as their understanding of the faith increases. Affection for God increases not through bypassing the mind, but by means of it. We live in an age in which people are more concerned about how they feel than what they know. And especially in religious circles, they're thinking, yes, keep myself in the love of God. It's something that I must feel. Therefore, let's create an environment that makes me feel this way and excited about this. And God's word always comes back and says this. No, you are more stable by learning about what you should know. And when you know the truth of God's word, that will stimulate the right affection. This is the means that we build our lives upon, beloved. It takes work, 
to understand God's word and feed our mind with that truth and be in it regularly and consistently. And this is what it means to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. This is why I put it this way at the beginning of the sermon. You must remain rooted in God's love and contend for the faith by progressing in your Christian life. Well, how do I progress? You progress by hearing, reading, meditating, memorizing God's word. Hearing, reading, memorizing, meditating, studying God's word. You say, well, that sounds so simple, Matt. Come on. Read your Bible, everything will be okay. Yes! Here's the thing. It's people that don't do that consistently and they haven't made a habit or a practice of that in their life when suddenly they're faced with a tragedy in life and all of a sudden their world is falling apart and they're like, I don't know where to turn. Why? Because you haven't engaged in the practice, the daily practice of building your life strong. And there are good people that will come alongside with you to take God's word and focus it in that moment of crisis to help you. But it's the people that have time and time again disciplined themselves to be here to hear God's word, to take in God's word, to meditate on God's word. Those are the people in times of crisis that they already have a firm footing. Can I put it this way? There are some people that when they come into crisis, it's like they need surgery. So let's get the Bible out and let's do surgery on them. And there are other people who the Bible is like their daily vitamin. They're not in a crisis now, but they take it every single day and they're growing every single day and they develop a strong unity, as it were. And when the crisis comes, it's not nearly Because they've built themselves up on their most holy faith. No progress in their Christian life. To conclude with these points of application. Piercing application for all of us. Jude says you are to build yourself. You're responsible for this. I can't do this for you as much as I would want to. I'm fully aware that I can even have you sitting here in these seats as I'm trying to speak and explain God's word to you and your mind might be on what's going to happen tomorrow. Because it's incumbent upon you to take in God's word as it's taught and preached. It's incumbent upon you to outside of the Lord's day that we spend together to take in God's word throughout your week. And so what is your interaction with God's word like? What is it like outside of a Sunday? You open it, you crack it, you read it, think about it. How much time do you spend thinking about reading, understanding God's word, as opposed to how much time you spend on social media? And I could probably take that in your life and weigh those two things and tell you where you are. 
tell you how you respond to difficulty based on your input of one of those or the other. One is going to build you up. The other, I'm not saying, is evil, but it's also going to tear you down. So where are you? Parents, let me talk to you for a minute. How is your home structure? Is there any structuring in your home to provide deliberate intake of God's word? time of thinking about God and his word together as a family maybe studying it a little bit any parent here would say you know my kids I want them to be healthy square meals vitamins go to their checkups very intentional about the physical health of our children are you as intentional about their spiritual well-being Deliberately helping them to build their lives on what really matters. You know what that is? It's contending for the faith. It's no wonder so many young people leave the faith because they never see it outside of an hour in church. Contend for this faith. Build your family around this truth. This is how we do it. This is why Jude says, not to just the pastor, but everybody in those seats, contend. What are you doing to build your life? What are you doing to progress in your Christian life? Because if you do, you will make your calling and election sure. You will be more sure of God's love for you. It will be a stable foundation for you upon which to operate and live your life. And may God give us grace to do so. Let's pray together.